Welcome to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart, episode number 216. And today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible has 180,000 titles to choose from in their very expansive library, so there is definitely going to be something that you want to listen to. So all you have to do is head over to audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart, and you will get a free download and a free month. You don't know purchase required, and you could start listening today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart. So you can kind of get on, get all those summer books out of your way by listening to them on your commute or while you're exercising or I personally listen as I walk around the city going from patient to patient during my work day every single day. So audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart. Thank you to Audible for sponsoring this episode. And in this episode, I am thrilled, was just really honored to interview Dr. Emma Stokes. Uh, If you're not familiar with Dr. Emma Stokes, you will definitely be familiar with her after this episode. So she is an associate professor and, and a fellow at Trinity College Dublin. She is the deputy head of the physiotherapy program and teaches on the entry to practice programs in Dublin and Singapore. The focus of her research and teaching is professional practice issues that builds on her work with professional regulatory and charitable organizations. She is the minister for the health's nominee for physiotherapy to the Health and Social Care Professions Council and Physiotherapist Registration Board in Ireland. And she is currently the president of the World Confederation of Physical Therapy, or the WCPT, which we mention a lot uh, in today's episode. So what are we talking about in today's episode? Very simply, we are talking about leadership, how to take practical steps that create leadership opportunities, We talk about leadership for women in the profession of physical therapy. How can we step up and step into those roles? We talk about uh, her thoughts on advocacy, how to be a better advocate, not only for the profession, but for your patients and for yourself, and so, so, so much more. Um, She's awesome. Uh, We also talk about the uh, upcoming IFOMPT conference in Dublin, Ireland, Uh, That is around July 4th, Uh, an incredible lineup of people there. So if you have the opportunity to go, I highly suggest it. Um, And and we talk about a lot more. She's, uh, Dr. Stokes has some amazing advice. Um, So if you really want to learn more about how to become a great leader, about how to advocate for yourself, for the profession, for your patients, and this is definitely the episode for you. I apologize. I think I'm coming down with a cold or something, which is why my voice sounds like this. So I'm just trying to keep it together for a couple more seconds. Anyway, um, thank you so much to Dr. Emma Stokes, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show, Dr. Emma Stokes. I am so pleased to have you on. So welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Excellent. And for those of you who who are listening who may not have an idea of who Dr. Stokes is, can you kind of give a quick little background about yourself and how you came to be at the position you are at now? Sure. Well, I have the privilege of serving as the president of the World Confederation for Physical Therapy, which is the World Physiotherapy Organization, um, for a four-year term, one of which I've completed. I'm an Irish uh, physical therapist, uh, physiotherapist. I qualified in 1990 at the university uh, where I now work, Trinity College Dublin. I spent part of my career working clinically, uh, specifically working with older people, people with stroke, Parkinson's disease. And then I moved into the university uh, where I took up a faculty position and I have been there for 20 years this year. And uh, along the way, I gathered a series of academic qualifications. Um, So I did my PhD, did a master's degree with a focus on business administration and yeah, and qualified as a professional coach last year. So that's my education. And yeah, I guess that's me. And then I've been involved in international physiotherapy, representing the Irish society and then within the European region of WCPT since 1998 and was elected president in May of 2015. Awesome. Congratulations. 
And we're going to talk about, you know, obviously you're a big leader in the physical therapy world, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But what I was wondering is how does one get into, even into the running of becoming elected the president of the World Confederation? Or, you know, I talked to Sharon Dunn, and we talked about how she became president of the APTA. So if someone is out there listening and they're saying, I want to have your job one day. <laughs> what sort of track are we looking at to kind of, what, what do people have to do? Well, first of all, the very first thing they have to do is they have to join their professional association and they have to stay members. And so they have to, they can't sit on the fence and watch from the outside and say, my profession should be doing this and my profession should be doing that. You are your profession. And I, you know, I love physiotherapy. Sometimes it drives me nuts, but most of the time I absolutely love physiotherapy. And it's a, it's, it's something I know about. It's something I've been for 30 years. I walked in the front gates of this university 30 years ago in October, and I love the profession. And I think that's something that you find within you. So I think you obviously have to become a member of your professional organization. And I would say volunteer. So I volunteered for the ISCP, which is the Irish Society of Chartered Physiotherapists, my professional organization in Ireland, right from the beginning. Get involved in a clinical interest group, get involved on a committee. And that, that allows you to start to learn from other people. It starts to allow you to get role models and um, mentors in the professional space as well as in the clinical space. And that's basically the very first step that's what I that's what I did and if you don't do that and if you don't stay committed to your profession even at the times when they are driving you nuts and you think that there's nothing in it for you that's the very time to dig deeper and uh, and really lean in and be part and stay part of your profession uh, so that's I guess the very first thing to do is Vonda and you know Sharon Dunn said the same exact thing and what I like to see is now a lot, even as a student, you can get involved in volunteer within. So, so I think it's important, even if you're a student listening to this, that you don't have to wait until you have your degree and your license, that you can get involved as a student. And it's a great way for you to see how these organizations run. Absolutely. And because the student community of physiotherapy globally is really active. Mm. And um, WCPT has a, has a network for students and early career uh, physiotherapists or physical therapists. And there's loads of ways of getting involved. And with social media, I think what's really interesting is that with, with when I began my journey, global physiotherapy and being connected globally, a lot of the time meant going to physical meetings and, you know, physically interacting with people. And then the, in the periods in between, you try to stay in touch by email and various things like that. But really now, you can be connected from wherever you are. You can be globally connected from wherever you are in the world. Uh, on Twitter, with Facebook, with some of our LinkedIn networks. There's all sorts of ways to get involved globally. And I think, interestingly, um, you know, that's, I think, a way of creating great excitement about being involved in physiotherapy. So as you say, with APTA, the Student Assembly, there's so much opportunity to be involved in, regardless of where you live in the United States, with your local chapter or the various divisions or the Student Assembly. There's lots of ways of getting involved. And I would say the other thing as well is, um, if you have a love of something else, you know, so a lot of people, phys physical therapists are really... Um, you know, the students that I have met on uh, physical therapy programs when I visited various universities in the U.S., the University of Rhode Island and Duke and, um, you know, the programs there and the PT students that I've met from other programs, they have a really wide portfolio of interests. So a lot of them are interested in sports or they're volunteering for other organizations or they're musicians or they're, you know, they're readers or they're teachers. And I, for me, you know, it's, it's really important to be a volunteer. And it's very important to be part of your profession. But if you're a volunteer in the local orchestra or you do tuition with kids in the local school or you're involved in some other um, contribution to the wider community, that's really important as well. And you learn an enormous amount from being a volunteer. So, for instance, for the four years that I was an undergraduate, I would say that I spent more time being involved in the um, athletics club in the university. 
was probably not assiduous as a student, um, if the truth be told. And But I learned a huge amount in terms of organizing things and being involved and working with other people and working, you know, with other people from different programs. So there's a lot to be learned from volunteering in general and getting involved and rolling up your sleeves. And, and then when you're ready, um, get involved with the profession. Yeah. You know, it's funny you should say that I just wrote a blog piece last week of how to stand out as a new graduate. And one of them was volunteering. Yeah. And, and whether that be volunteering within the organization of uh, yeah. your professional organization or volunteering in your community. Like I volunteer at an animal shelter yeah. here in, here in yeah. New York City. And it's yeah. great because you, like, you, you learn how to communicate with other people. You learn Absolutely. how to work as a group for the greater good. Yep. And I think that's what volunteering is all about. Very, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Okay. So... Those are very, very good ways to kind of kickstart your journey into someone who maybe has aspirations to be the leader of their organization, whether it be WCPT or whether it be the APTA or whatever country you're in. Now, how, what is your best advice on how to be a good leader? And, you know, there's books written about this. There are infinite blog posts and studies. And how... What is your best advice to someone on how to be a good leader? And then we'll get into uh, being a little more specific um, about being a, a female, a woman leader sure. in the PT world. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I, it's funny. I, I gave a talk uh, not to a PT group. A couple, I was really honored to be asked to give a talk um, to a program that, that's run by a fantastic company called Equality Works, and um, they run a leadership program. So I was asked to give a talk a couple of months ago in relation to this. So I had to really start thinking about, you know, what is it about my leadership journey that that, that I think might be useful to share? Um, so I guess one of the things that I started off in that talk and, you know, having reflected on it quite a bit was that you, that you need to learn. You need, leadership is something you can learn about. And I think that's, that came as a big surprise to me when I did my graduate business degree um, was that actually we did a whole module on leadership and leading change. And it became apparent to me that actually there's a lot that you can learn. So you need to learn about yourself um, and you need to know about yourself and uh, understand your way of interacting with the world and understand how to be the best version of yourself. I think one of the other things you need to learn about is you need to actually understand how other people work. And so a lot of PT programs now do leadership development. They do a lot of, you know, you can't lead others until you know about yourself. And then, uh, you know, so we do things like Myers-Briggs and Balbin team roles with our students. We do a lot of reflective writing. Different programs do different ways of understanding more about yourself as a leader and then how you interact with others. I think one of the things that you need to really be clear about are what your values are. So learn about your values, where they've come from, how they serve you, and how you use those in the service of others, and what you what they bring to you as a person. And because I think if you understand them very explicitly, then you will understand when they're challenged, and whether you're prepared to have them challenged, or whether you actually really need to put your hand up and walk away from a situation. And one of the other things that I've learned a lot recently, and we use it a lot with our students, is the value of reflection and reflective writing and giving yourself a space to reflect on the things that went well and the things that went not so well. And rather than beat yourself up about them, really just sort of simply say, how, how would I learn? What did I learn from that? And doing it very explicitly. So some people like to do reflective writing. I find that very helpful. It's a, a good technique to, to sort of develop, a good habit to develop. And I think the other thing is to learn to say sorry, you know, and, and say it say it, mean it. Don't say sorry, but just say sorry. Yeah. It's not a sorry, not sorry situation. Yeah. No, a sorry and make it a real sorry. So think about it and get yourself into a place where you can understand why your behavior may have caused upset and just own it, wear it lightly, move on. But, mm -hmm. but I see the power of sorry. It's a great liberating word to be able to say and to mean it. Yeah. So I, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's it sounds to me like what you're saying is self-awareness as as the person is is a great quality to have as a leader. Yeah, and certainly I think that's something that 
I didn't know at the beginning of my journey, my professional journey. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. become something that I've become far more aware of. And then I guess the other thing is, you know, our lives are busy and we do have to sort of live leadership and, and living leadership is, 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 is kind of, we need to unpack what that means. And so, you know, looking, identifying someone who does something that you admire and, and like have this conversation with them, sort of find out how did they get to where they are. But sometimes it's just even about looking at a behavior and saying, that's a behavior that I think is a positive behavior that I would like to adopt. And it, and it, it is mimicking. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's that sense of, you know, seeing somebody do something and saying, I think that's great. So I remember seeing a consultant um, working in a, in a very, very, in a hospital that served a very, very poor area in Dublin and how she would, the patients would thank her and say, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And, and she would just simply say that it's my pleasure. And I remember it's, she subsequently became a senator in, 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 in Ireland. Um, Mary Henry is her name. And, but I remember that was as a student. And I remember how I felt that that was just so respectful. And so um, it was just a wonderful behavior to demonstrate. And I, so, you know, it's something I've tried to do myself because I just think it was a simple way of acknowledging very respectfully, you know, the service that you're giving and mm -hmm. that, that it was her pleasure to serve this particular yeah. woman. It's very impactful. Yeah, and, and, and I was, yeah. And it shows that you're you're there. You know, yeah. you're present and you're listening and you're mm -hmm. you're not only listening but that you're really understanding. Mhm. Mm you know, yeah. and I think that's also a big part of being a leader is to be able to know when to like zip it and listen. Exactly. And that's where I, I mean I have a coach. I work with a coach all the time. I am qualified as a coach, but I think coaching is something that will become increasingly more important for us to, I think for physiotherapists to take on more of the coaching conversation and the coaching role with our patients and our clients. And then one of the issues, one of the key, I suppose, principles of coaching is that the solution is owned by the person, the client, and um, it's, you unpack that solution with them. Uh, and then the solution becomes something that they own rather than us giving a fix. Mm -hmm. And when I was training as a coach, it was really interesting that I had to suspend very ingrained physiotherapy training to an education and practice to let that go. So I find I have I find having a coach really valuable. Yeah, it's kind of that the differentiation between being the operator versus the interactor, you mm -hmm. know, and I think uh, two PTs, one Canadian, one U.S., uh, Diane Jacobs and Jason Silvernail, uh, wrote about this. Um, so instead of being the operator of your client to fix mm. them, be the interactor to empower them. And that's, exactly. the, that's the person who's going to go on and, and will most likely be successful. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think it's going to be a big paradigm shift in how we work uh, and practice as physical therapists mm -hmm. and how we educate our students mm -hmm. uh, as mm -hmm. physical therapists. Yeah. It also requires a very, it requires a shift in how we practice. It's a slower interaction. Yeah, no, the, absolutely. Patients and clients. Absolutely. And I guess the other thing is that we do need, we can't, it's, it's lovely to work on your own, but we do work in teams and we work with other people and we do need to pe bring people on the journey. And, um, sometimes that journey is a little slower than you'd like it to be. So pace is important and understanding pace. And I have come to acknowledge that because I think a lot of the time it's the pace that change is taking place at that doesn't bring people on the journey rather than the efforts to make people feel that they're on the journey. Mm -hmm. And, and in, in a world where everything is now, yeah, right? Everything yeah. needs to be now or last week. Yes, it's, and I know that's one of my problems is pacing and, and being okay with things taking time because they need maybe to take time to do it right. Exactly. And sometimes it's about taking time. People need time to process. Mm -hmm. They just mm -hmm. need time to, to work through it and see how it's going to impact on them. So I think working in a team and learning to work in a team and acknowledging that actually if you can do it on your own, it's not big enough. Mm. is one of the things that I've learned. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I, someone had said the quote, like, trying to do it all will keep you small. Exactly, exactly. And right. letting go and bringing in people to help you is really important. I think the other thing that we need to get a lot better at, 
and certainly for me, well, let's put it this way. I have to start getting a lot better at is that sometimes good enough is just, is just enough. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It doesn't have to be fabulous. It doesn't have to be perfect. Good enough is good enough. Yeah. Which is hard. Yeah, absolutely. That's hard. That's hard. Because, you know, yeah, I think that is, that's a, that's a tricky one. I'm getting better at it. Um, simply because of volume, I think. And, and I think never underestimate the power of symbols. Mm. So symbolic leadership, the, the aspects of leadership around celebrating success, around just, yeah, symbols in a way that we probably underestimate their influence and their impact as leaders. And then reframing failure. I think just, again, recognizing that it's not failure. It's just something that didn't work out. And what would we learn from it mm -hmm. that would enable us to do it better the next time? Absolutely. And then I think one of the most important things is that you have to find something that you love. Find your sure. passion, whatever sure. it is. Sure. Yeah. No, and then, that makes sense. Yeah. You, you know, have and to be sources, all in. Yeah. Sources of inspiration, you know, whatever they are, if it's a walk in the wilderness, if it's sitting in an art gallery, if it's listening to a beautiful piece of music, if it's playing with your children or your nieces or you're going to your book club or whatever it is, just find sources of inspiration in your daily life. Mm -hmm. Not big ones, just ones where you feel inspired. And if it's going to a conference or listening to a podcast or putting on something on YouTube, then try do try and tap into that. And the other thing I think that um, I've learned a lot is that good leaders look after themselves. Self-care is very important. Yeah. And I'm sure you learned a lot about that going through a coaching program, how important self-care is. And, Absolutely. and a lot of times it's, especially in the physical therapy profession, I think by and large, the physical therapists are giving. And sometimes you can give so much during the day that you've actually depleted yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. important to know when to pull back on the reins and say, you know something, I'm going to take the day off. I'm going to do the day just mm -hmm. for me. And that's okay. Absolutely. You don't have to feel guilty about it, which is something I struggle with, which is most people probably do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's about ways of identifying when you're, when your reserve is low and saying, and not be afraid to say, I'm not available to do that. Or actually, you know, at this meeting, I can't be out every evening or, um, you know, making sure if you're chairing a meeting or you're doing something big that you're not hungry or thirsty or, you know, even those simple things, you know, they're the things that deplete your energy. And if you're leading, if you're chairing a big meeting, if you're chairing a board, if you're in a leadership role where you have to be on, then you do need to set the boundaries, which are, you know, I need, I, I can't go to this dinner this evening because I actually need to not be talking to somebody for three or four hours. Yeah. You know, those kind of things. It's the power of no. And and yeah. you can say no in such a way that it's not offensive. And I think, and, and, you know, this probably really goes into what I wanted to talk also about is as a woman in the PT role, how can we mm. uh, get into more leadership positions? And I mm. think the power of no is something that women have a hard time with. You know, because yeah, we always want to so. say guess... yes, 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 and please, and and not everyone, but I think oh. in general. Um, and so there are ways to say no that are very, very positive that leave hmm. people feeling like. So if someone said, "Oh, Dr. Stokes, I really want you to come and talk at this X Y Z," and it's at a time where maybe you had had that set aside for yourself, it's very mm -hmm. easy to say, "I'm honored. I thank you so mm -hmm. much." Um, this is just not the best time for me, but let's find another time that works. That's a great way to say no. Absolutely. And nobody's Absolutely. offended. No, no, I don't think so. I think people understand that as well. I think they recognize that, you know, you've, so for instance, I, there are certain times in my diary where there are protected times, you know, uh, and, and I don't mind saying, no, I'm not available to do that because we take those weeks off in July for our vacation or no, you know, I'm not taking that call on Sunday because I try not to work at the weekends mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because my partner and I live in two different cities. So we don't get to see one another until the weekends. And if I was to sort of let work creep into the weekends, then we wouldn't get to see one another. And I, what was really interesting was um, a physiotherapist who's involved in one of our networks, the early career network. I'm not going to name her, but, um, my, when I was elected as president, 
my partner and my parents came to Singapore. I asked them to come. They're very important to me. They're a big part of my life. I didn't ask my sister and her two small children and her husband to come because I thought that would probably just turn it into a three-ring circus and my sister <laughs> would be greatly relieved not to have to bring a four and a two-year-old to Singapore. <laughs> but my family are really important to me and they, you know, I... So what was interesting was the, the physiotherapist who's early in her career said, it was really great that you had your family there because that means a lot to other people to see. And I had never thought about it like that. But I'm never afraid of saying, no, I'm not available because I, uh, this is the time of the day when I see my nieces. I try and see my nieces a couple of times a week in the afternoons. Um, and no, I, I can't because I'm seeing my nieces. And, you know, if I didn't put that as a priority, then I wouldn't get to see them. Sure. Weeks would go by and sure. I wouldn't see them. Yeah. And so maybe I'm just at a point in my career where I'm not afraid to say, because I don't think I'll be judged. I think women are often afraid to prioritize family over work because they feel they'll be judged differently to perhaps their male colleagues. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. I think that's just, that's just a, it's an issue with gender in the workplace. Yeah. Um, you know, I live in Ireland and I live in Denmark and I see the very significant positives about the Danish system in terms of the support that it has for family and the priority that's placed on family. And, you know, I take three weeks, four weeks off every summer in July. I, it, we prioritize that. That's our time for our vacation. I remember somebody saying to me, you know, a, a, a senior, you know, a leader in physiotherapy saying to me, gosh, isn't that great that you can do that? Uh, you know, and I remember thinking, well, we all have an annual leave quota. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not great that I can do it. I just make a decision to do it, you know. Uh, and it, you know, it, it, okay, yes, I have the flexibility within the university to do it at a time when the students aren't, you know, so that's fine. But we can, we, we are all responsible for ensuring that we take the breaks that we need mm -hmm. within the context of our working environment, of course, obviously. Of course, yeah. You know. Yeah. And, but, yeah. no, go ahead. I just think that's always, that's always a, you know, I, I, I suppose maybe I just am at the point in my life where if somebody judges me on that, then really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not fussed about it, but I think we, we have to signal that those things are important to us because if we don't, um, and signal that we're not afraid of saying that they're important to us. Yeah, absolutely. And just speaking up and speaking up for, like you said earlier, brings it back to what are your values yeah. and, and can you be consistent, be consistent with those values and people will respect that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so now you're, you know, there are a lot of women in leadership positions within mm -hmm. physical therapy, I think, as a whole. So you at the WCPT, we have Sharon Dunn and as a president, Lisa Saladin as our vice president yeah. here in the United States. I don't know every other country in the world. I apologize. Um, but still, there is this sense of women maybe not having their voices heard, perhaps not stepping up as much as they should. So do you have any advice as, as a, a, a leader, as a female leader in the PT world as to what, what women can do practically to kind of get, raise themselves up and, and get into leadership positions? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point that you raise. And um, with one of my PhD students, Emer McGowan, we published a paper in um, in um, Physical Therapy Reviews about, it was a, an opinion piece about leadership in, because there's very little research actually around leadership in physiotherapy. Mm. There's a, a small number of researchers uh, looking at, at, at leadership and Emer is one of them. But in the review, which was done when WCPT had a, had a 106 member organization, so it was just before the general meeting in 2015, okay. um, she, and I just have the paper in front of me, so I'm going to read it. She noted that, um, that APTA has never had a male, a female CEO, apart from for a period of time where there was an interim CEO who was a, who was a woman. And that CAPT uh, in 2013 reported that there were proportionately fewer program directors in academic institutions who were women rather than men. And internationally, 59 of the 106 member organizations of WCPT had male leaders. Um, and she also said that the presidents of the Australian Association, the Physiotherapy New Zealand Association, and the Swedish Association were all currently men, despite the fact that the membership of these professional groups have a female to male ratio, 
which ranges from 1.6 to 1 in the US to 4.96 to 1 in Sweden. Mm. Um, and I, I, I know the presidents of all those associations and they are wonderful men. Um, and so I'm, so I'm not, you know, I, I, I know and like and respect them. So um, I'm not dissing them by putting that quote in. It's just actually from our papers. So that's why mm -hmm. I'm giving you information. It's a hard one. And I think it's not unique to physiotherapy. I mean, no, not I, at all. No, I mean, I think it really isn't. Uh, I mean, I think it's probably, I think if we were to look at nursing, we'd probably maybe see the same thing, although I, I'm speculating. Um, mm -hmm. So, so I think it is something that we need to find out a bit more about. And that's why, interestingly, um, the whole area of leadership research in physiotherapy is something that we need to start to unpack the gender, the gender question. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're very excited to be, to be doing some of the research in that area. And cool. um, I think it's what, Look, I think it's probably like anything. I think it's about opportunity. It's about um, so for a lot of so for a lot of women, it's about what are the structures within their family life, within their work life that um, that either hinder or enable them to take up leadership positions. And that's probably a very individual question that people have to ask themselves. But also, it's a broader societal issue. The extent to which women are empowered to, to do both. And, you know, there's a lot of sort of commentary now on this idea that, you know, can women have it all or can't women have it all? And you know, the answer is, I don't know. And, you know, I, I can only draw my personal experience. And a lot of people would look at me and say, well, what would I know about it on the basis that I don't juggle um, having children? Mm -hmm. And so... But I see my sister and I look at her and I see what she's juggling. Um, and so it's so it's interesting. So it comes down to a lot of the societal workplace um, structures that enable women to, to sort of manage family life and work life. And I don't know the answer to that. I think that probably is very culturally quite specific as well. If you mm -hmm. look at some of the Nordic countries, the, the approaches to childcare um, and the sort of work-life balance are, are, you know, they're different culturally to other parts of the world. And I think we can probably learn a lot from that. Yeah. But within the individual, you know, so notwithstanding all of the sort of challenges within the workplace and society and, and all of those kind of things, within the individual, I think one of the things that I have, I suppose, learned um, and read about is this idea of women not putting themselves forward. Uh, so, for instance, this idea that, that the, the sort of the concept that men will, will apply for a position if they have 65% of the competencies, but women won't apply for it unless they have 100% of them. Mm. And so are we raising the bar too high for ourselves so again, I don't want to generalize, so I'm going to take it back to a particular personal example where we have this um, uh, fellowship in our university and fellowship is hard to get. Mm. And there are very, there, proportionately, there are more men who have fellowship than women academics who have fellowship in Trinity. And I had applied for fellowship twice and didn't get it, didn't even get beyond the internal review, which then goes out to international peer review. And I couldn't face putting myself through it again. I just thought, I can't do this. I just, I just took it so personally mm. and I felt such a failure and it was horrible. And then I decided I was going to give it one more go simply because I said I'd do it three times. And after that, then I was going to let myself off the hook. I wasn't going to do it again. I just thought if I do it for a third time, I've given it my best. And if it doesn't work out, well, I've done it three times and I can sort of give myself permission to let it go. And I got it on the third occasion. Nice. Now, I think the lesson there was I just needed to reframe it. And I didn't talk to anyone about it. And I was just too precious about it. And I, I didn't talk to... I mean, my colleagues, I mean, actually, one of my female colleagues was great. She let me have a look at her. She kind of gave me some advice on references the third time round. And one of my couple of my male colleagues had a look at my form. And and I just I reframed it in my mind as well, which was I'm doing this one more time because I'm just not going to let it go until I've done it three times. And I wonder, is there just a little bit of that that we need to just just play the game a little bit differently mm -hmm. and perhaps be a little bit lighter on ourselves but also draw in 
other perspectives when we're doing things. Um, and I guess that's, as I say, that's just a personal experience. Um, and I'm glad that I went the third time because I got it. It was something that I'm very proud of and, um, and, and was relieved that actually I never had to think about it again. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would imagine think. so. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so that's the other thing I think, I think it's interesting, you know, if we look at it and I don't, I, I'm not an expert in this by any, by any means, but I, I do try and read as much as possible. And it's, you know, women are judged differently as well. Mm-hmm. Women in leadership roles are judged differently to men in the same roles. And, you know, there's a very interesting um, research. It's actually, a, it was a, a teaching exercise uh, on an MBA program and um, students were given a case study uh, about an entrepreneur and they were given um, a case, the case study, Howard and Heidi, and they were given the Howard version, which is exactly the same case study, but the language was about a man. And the other case study was the Heidi version of the case study, and it was about a woman. And then they were asked to describe various attributes of the people. So there was nothing different apart from the fact that in one story it was a man, and in another story it was a woman, and obviously the the gender language was changed. So they were identical, and the group were randomized into getting male or female. And women were the the behavior of the woman was judged far more harshly Hmm. and far more negatively. And, and framed in that kind of language than the behavior of the man, even though the behaviors were exactly the same. Hmm. So I just wonder, are, 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 we, are we judged differently? You know, do we, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know. And you've got a really interesting, you know, presidential election coming up. Where, uh, yes, it is. You know, very interesting. For lots of different reasons. But, yes. but one particular reason is, you know, that it looks like the presumptive nominees from the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. And a man the other way around. But so so it's interesting. And I guess one of the things is watching and learning and seeing how women are women in leadership roles are treated and observed and understanding, taking from that what we can understand from that. Yeah, and, and I think that's great advice yeah, for anyone you know, kind of seeking for any woman seeking a leadership role is to I love that you said to not judge yourself so harshly because yeah. then maybe you won't step into that role. So, yeah. so just go take for a it. chance. Yeah. Take a chance. And if it doesn't work out, don't, don't beat yourself up over it because, yeah. and try again, could be any number of things. And yeah. the other thing is try again. Yeah. Try again because yeah. you never Keep know. Trying. Keep yeah. trying. I think that's great advice. And I think a lot of times as women, we do tend to take things a little too harshly or maybe too personally. Yeah. I can say that for myself. Hmm. I probably may take things a little too harshly or too personally, but uh, I think as I've gotten older, I've said, you know, if this person's, if this man can do it and I'm doing the exact same thing, then I'm, I'm going for it. You yeah. know, I'm going to do it. Um, so I think that's great advice. Um, now let's kind of switch gears here for a moment. Um, I know that you're, you do research on this and are a huge advocate for physical therapy. So mm-hmm. what can people do so people listening to this whether they are a PT or not a PT Mm -hmm. um, as an individual and then maybe as a as a business or a group what are some Mm. positive ways people can advocate for physical therapy well the first thing to do and I this is I have the great pleasure of 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 having a great friend um, who's also a colleague of mine called Jonathan Kruger um, and Jonathan was uh, the general manager, manager for, for advocacy and policy at the Australian Physiotherapy Association. And he taught me the nuts and bolts of advocacy. And I think sometimes we actually, advocacy is this kind of nebulous concept. For It's kind of like, it's something that we see people doing, but we, we're not exactly sure how to do it. So we 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 had this, um, we had a great chance to do a fantastic focus symposium in, uh, in 2015 at WCPT Congress, which is available as a recording on our website. Cool. But I think it's about learn, learn, learn the steps of advocacy. And, and Jonathan proposes this very um, simple model. Um, it's not simple in its um, implementation, but it's great in terms of you need to understand what your outcome is. And you need to be very clear about that. And so uh, when I use this model when I'm teaching, and I was t- had taught on a master's in leadership um, couple of weeks ago and um, we were talking about advocacy. So understand what it is you want to achieve and really drill down into that. And once you understand what your outcome is, then you need to look at the context. So 
what is the environment in which you want this change to happen? Who are the key people that may be the decision makers? Understanding who are, who are the people that you might want to be in terms of your allies? Who are the people that might not be so mad, you know, really, really positive about this change or this whatever it is that you, whatever it is that you're advocating for, there will be people who will be helpful and will be allies and will be uh, influencers. And there'll be people who will be just digging their heels and saying, this is not going to happen anytime soon. And understanding your context then allows you to think about what you're going to do, your strategy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that could be anything from advocating for additional sessions for physical therapy with an insurance company. Or, and it's again, so that's my outcome. Now, what's the context? What does this insurance company normally provide? Um, what type of in evidence do I need to provide to them? And your context is not about all the things that will help my achieving my outcome. Your context is also, ooh, right, well, normally this insurance company will only uh, pay for or reimburse for six sessions, and I'm asking for eight. So let's think about what are the circumstances where they might increase reimbursement or so so it's thinking about the things that will work in your favor and the things that won't necessarily work in your favor and then sitting down and clearly saying okay here are the things I need to do in order to try and achieve this so that I guess is the first thing I and and so that could also be you know in in many instances you know you want the evidence in support of what it is that you want to achieve so is it a is it about cost effectiveness of physical therapy do you do you have the data that shows that it's not just clinically effective but cost effective the other thing to remember is that our most powerful advocates are often our patients and telling the story choosing the right format for the story for the person who to whom you're speaking with um, so if it's a CEO, they're going to want to know you know why is this saving me money or what's yeah. in it for me what are the cost benefits? If it's a patient organization that you want to bring on your journey with you, powerful testimonies from, from patients or clients is possibly, that's going to capture the, the story there. Um, and, and, and looking at the various storytelling methods, you know, so it's very hard fact, then is it, do you want to be using a very powerful video? Do you want to actually give all the floor to your patient advocate? You know, do you need to pay a lobbyist? I mean, sometimes it's about, you know, who do I need, you know, as an organization, do we need to throw money at this problem? Do we need to actually pay a professional lobbyist to help us? And, but it's really working your way through what's the best strategy for me to achieve this. And again, recognizing that it, sometimes advocacy can take decades, you know, it can take up to 10 years to change a law and so, you know, it's about sort of not losing all your energy after the first six months and thinking, oh, well, we haven't got this. So it's about saying, OK, we're, the time is not right now. We've done as much as we can do. We're going to put it away for a couple of years and we're going to come back to it. And th so there are many examples of that story uh, around the world in physiotherapy, you know, of people saying we've done our best. The political climate is just not going to work for us now. So we're going to spend our energy on something else. Yeah. Yeah. So so being a good advocate, whether you're advocating for an individual patient, whether the profession as a whole, if you're a person or a group, is is to really be very clear on what you want your outcomes to be, mm -hmm. know the major players involved, mm -hmm. and, and what their mindset is, and how yep. they may help or hurt you, and then have the data, have yep. the have what and what in whatever form that data is like you said whether it be costs or testimonials but yep. have the data that aligns with your outcomes that you Absolutely. want to achieve and that is pertinent to the players in the game at that point exactly. for that person yeah 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 okay well that's and i mean i think that's a great framework and great principles for anyone to work off of Absolutely. And I'd love to, to say that I came up with it, but I didn't. It was Jonathan Kruger who came up with it. And uh, as I say, it's all there. And there's some great stories behind that. There's a fabulous story from Ken Harwood, who was an executive vice president at APTA, who mm -hmm. spoke about this um, in this talk. Oh, great. And then the president of the New Zealand Physiotherapy Association and then the president, of, a former president of the South African Association were all in that focus symposium. And it's on a recording on our website, freely available. Awesome. So. Yeah, yeah, we'll link to that. Source. I'll link to that in the show notes. That's sure. it. Sounds great. I'm definitely going to be listening to that. Um, and 
So we're kind of getting around to the end here. Um, we kind of, unfortunately, have to wrap things up. But what I'd like to know is the IFOMPT conference is coming up in Glasgow, Scotland, at the beginning of July. You're going to be there. What are the things that you're looking forward to the most? Well, apart from the fact that it's scaring the hell out of me that I'm actually on the IFOMPT program, <laughs> really, it's kind of the imposter syndrome. I kind of keep looking over my shoulder thinking, they do know I know nothing about manual therapy, right? Um, but notwithstanding the fact that I am sort of slightly concerned about that, I'm, I have in the last year attended many physiotherapy conferences and I wouldn't naturally grab, you know, so as an individual physiotherapist, if I wasn't the president of WCPT, I wouldn't be going to IFOMT because mm -hmm. it's not part of my practice. I don't practice clinically anymore. As I said to you earlier on, I think it's probably, it's probably, well, it's 26 years ago since I qualified. So it's probably 24 years ago since I actually used manual therapy. And I'm not sure that I was ever terribly proficient. But nevertheless, um, what I find now is when I go to conferences where I'm sort of put outside my box in terms of knowledge, I, I look to the speakers to learn more about the leaders in that field mm -hmm. and what they're doing and I sort of package the information away so that I can pull it out whenever I need to um, and or equally I'm sitting in the audience thinking okay now that's someone that we need to remember for so I'm looking forward to learning more about what the great fantastic lineup of speakers are doing in terms of their research and um, not because I'm going to be taking it away and reflecting on it in terms of my clinical practice because that would at this point be dangerous but more for me to put it away and say okay these are the key thought leaders in the field what are they thinking what's the research telling us because at some point over the next three years I'm going to need to dip into that at some conversation I'm going to need to try and remember what they said about something um and so I'm looking forward to that um I just love hanging out with physiotherapists I love to see what they're doing I love to find out what's changing and you know Wow, the, the, there's giants at this. It's a huge lineup. It's just like it's huge. academic and research giants at yeah. this conference. Yeah. And so <laughs> I'm going to kind of creep in there under the radar and hope that nobody thinks that I'm going to be talking about orthopedic manual uh, physical therapy because, yes, well, as I say, that would just be way outside my competence. But I am really looking forward to actually sharing the WCPT um, strategic plan, mm -hmm. talking, talking about the importance of IFOMT. Um, and really sharing some of the stories of, of the challenges that the profession is facing, both from within our profession, because uh, let's face it, sometimes we're really good at cannibalizing ourselves. Yes. But also the challenges that the profession is facing in terms of perhaps laws that are being made that might want to prevent us from using manual therapy. Mm -hmm. And just the role that IFOMT and, and WCPT can play in, in, in trying to influence those agendas. Yeah, and so I'm looking forward to sharing that as well. Sounds um, great. But Glasgow is a fabulous city, and yeah, so it'll be great. It'll yeah, be really it looks it looks amazing. I was uh, sort of saying this to you before we went on air that some friends and I were kind of on the fence about going or not going, but the lineup is just so amazing, oh. and it just looks like I went to IFOMT in Quebec City in mm. 2012. Right, it's every yeah. four years, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and. It was just um, it was just such a great time. And, and I always, like you said, I enjoy hanging out with PTs as well. But it's so great to, because it's such a hugely international conference, mm. that you're really getting such such interesting perspectives. And, and like you said in the beginning, that all goes back to to sort of things you can kind of put in your tool built as far as your leadership skills are concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes I even listen to a talk and I, I, I sit sometimes at talks and think I have I'm so far behind the curve in terms of the content of this talk. I'm not actually sure I know what they're talking about. And um, so actually, when I'm sitting at a talk like that, I start looking at the way they're delivering the talk. Mm. You know, so how is this person telling the story? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and what 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 ways are they what imagery are they using? What techniques are they using? And so. You know, sometimes I learn an awful lot more from a talk where the content is, is really not familiar to me. And so what I'm actually doing is looking at the, the person who's, who's delivering the talk and yeah. seeing how they do it and what can I learn from that. Yeah, so sometimes it's just remembering that. If you're sitting yeah. in an audience and you think, I'm not interested in this topic, well, then don't listen to the topic. Listen to the way that it's delivered mm. and watch that and just see what you can learn from that. 
Absolutely. Uh, that's that's great advice. Great advice. And you have no excuse because there are probably direct flights. To, no, no, no. There's Glasgow. direct flights from New York City to Glasgow. Yeah. And yeah. and they were actually under $1,000, which I actually found to be not so bad as there far as go. a trip oh. to Europe. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and then <laughs> and anyway, the other thing is, if you don't get to IPOMT, you know, you need you, you could really think about coming to Cape Town in July of and, 2017. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a world event. Yeah. Uh, no, that... Uh, first time WCPT Congress will be in, in, in the Africa region. Uh -huh. And we are just so excited about that cool. so um i couldn't let this podcast go by without putting a little plug in for cape no, town no absolutely absolutely <laughs> and that's uh july 2017 world uh federation physical therapy world congress and physical therapy correct yeah. and the uh, the call for abstracts is open oh the awesome so if anybody Just wants open, to so. absolutely put in an abstract do it go for it and don't think that your abstract isn't good enough Yes. Very good advice for everyone. If you have something, if you have something that you feel passionate about and you want to share with the world, yep. go for it. And we have a mentoring service for people who might be sort of feeling a little underconfident about their abstract writing skills. Mm -hmm. So we have help. Oh, awesome. so we're living our leadership beliefs as well. Awesome. And is all that, that's all on the, so what is the all website on the WCPT again? Website. Yeah. WCPT.org and go into the section on Congress. Awesome. So WCPT.org, section on Congress. If you have something, put it in because you never know you can be in Cape Town next year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sounds awesome. Okay. So any parting thoughts from you, uh, kind of wrapping up the talk, what would you say? Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity Anytime. to talk to you. Anytime. Uh, it's been a great pleasure. I love talking about physiotherapy. I love physiotherapy. I, I think if you love what you do, it's just easy to do it. And we have so much to learn from one another and we have so much to learn from other professions. And it's, it's an incredibly exciting time to be part of the physical therapy global community. And for many of us, the global community is the exciting thing. Mm -hmm. And you can be part of the global community without ever leaving your armchair. Exactly. And I think that's an important thing to, to remember, too, that we learn we can learn so much from how the physical therapy community are dealing with the opportunities and the challenges that are facing us and looking around the world and, and just being excited and being involved and learning from others is fantastic. Excellent. Great way to wrap up the show. So, Dr. Emma Stokes, thank you so much again for coming on. This was a pleasure. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Oh, look, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in and for listening. And again, you can go to WCPT.org. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Karen Litzy NYC. And do you want to give out your Twitter handle? Yes, mine yeah. is at EK Stokes. At EK Stokes. So follow us on Twitter. Uh, have a great week, everybody. Stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. <laughs>